0: Kiddos, Uh, if you haven't made your way, you can make your way now and to the back there. um, We're excited that you're here this morning and and looking forward to what God's Word has to speak and show us. So, would you pray with me just for a moment? I'm a little uh, discombobulated this morning. I have one that's been worn out not feeling I don't know what's up, so I've been holding him, and so I was behind on getting my mic on. And Anyway, so it would be just good for me to pray. Just, uh, Father, in the name of Jesus, um, just allow us just to focus. and um, God, just to overcome, uh, God, the things that may be distracting us here and now, um, the things that are going on at home, outside these walls. What I do always pray that instead of leaving them out there, God, I always um, see with you that you ask them to bring them to you. And so, Father, we don't leave them in the car or back home or back at the nursing home or at our job or wherever it may be, Um, the the burdens and things we carry. We bring them instead with us, God, and we bring them to You. And so, God, thank You that You alone are our healer. Thank You alone that You are sufficient. And so, Lord, I pray right now that You would, um, by Your grace and Your power alone, allow my mind to focus back and um, to focus in on the message. And I pray the same for my other brothers and sisters here who may be distracted or... um, Many things in their lives going on right now. I just ask that you would allow us all to focus and to hear from you clearly, God. Uh, Please speak, Lord, and um, open your word unto us, God. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this morning I have a question for you, all right? How do you identify people with the greatest need of Jesus? Right, have you ever wondered that? Like, who has, like, the greatest need of Jesus? That's kind of the question I want you to begin thinking about, mulling over. Like, how do I know who needs Jesus the most? Like, when I'm just at school or at my job or I'm at the grocery, Um, like, how would I know that? Like, when I'm on a mission trip, I mean, how do I know who has the greatest need of Jesus? That's kind of the question we're after this morning in Acts chapter 16. Because if we can find this answer, it's going to provide a lot of clarity to our lives. It's going to give us a lot of direction, a lot of focus, a lot of intentionality. Um, and so this morning, what we're going to do is in Acts 16, you're going to encounter two different women, all right? Um, one lady's life is on this certain trajectory, and it's, it's pretty clear the path she's on, and the other person's on a completely different path, all right? But what we're going to try to do is to make an attempt to say, hey, listen, is there some overriding connection that supersedes all else that's going on in their lives, Despite everything we may see happening on the outside of this person's life and that person's life, is there something, there's a commonality amongst them that will give us some clarity and direction of helping us understand who has the greatest need of Jesus? So let's, let's look for that today. Acts chapter 16. You remember if you were with us, we've been walking with Paul and how he had gone in, um, had the vision there, and, and so he says he has the vision. He says, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, verse six, or verse 10 of Acts 16. Concluding that God's called us to preach the gospel to Him, so that vision God had revealed it. But look what it says, verse eleven. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and then we came the following day to Neapolis. From there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, we remained in this city some days. And then look what happens here. And on the Sabbath day, which would have been uh, the Saturday, okay, on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia. Alright, this is the first lady we're going to encounter. From the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. Alright, so a couple of things we're going to know about Lydia. First and foremost, she's from the city of Thyatira. You're going to see on a map here in a moment where that is. Alright, kind of modern day Turkey area. You're going to see that in a moment. So she's from the city of Thyatira. Furthermore, what do we know about Lydia? Well, it says that she's a... Seller of purple goods. Um, Something you know about purple goods. That's typically what the royalty wore, okay? And so, because she was a seller of purple goods, um, what we know further from the text is that Lydia was pretty affluent, all right? She she had prospered in her business. How do we know this? Well, verse 15, she says that she has her own house, okay? This could mean that she was uh, single or maybe that she'd become a widow. We're not sure. But it's her house. Furthermore, her pad is pretty plush. How do we know her pad's pretty plush? Verse 40 tells us that it seems that the entirety of the church is going to start meeting at her house. So she's got a pretty big place, evidently, all right? It seems that she's prospered, done well, so that's a little bit about her occupation, okay? So she sells these purple goods. Um, Typically, those are more expensive. She's making some good money from her trade. What about her spiritual temperature, all right? Well, a couple things that kind of tell us a little bit about what's happening in Lydia's life at this point. Again, we're trying to say... Who has the greatest need of Jesus? So let's look at these two ladies, see what we uncover that might help us. Well, first we find out that she has come to a place of prayer, all right? She's there at the place of prayer, so, and she's with other people that have come to the place of prayer. So we, in the, we realize that, hey, there's some desire of Lydia to know something about God, all right? And then we hear this statement, all right, that's probably a little bit more prescriptive to help us understand we hear that she is a worshiper of God. Oftentimes, that term was used to indicate someone that had formerly worshipped many gods. All right? So a polytheist. All right? Poly being many, theists being gods. They had worshipped many gods. But somewhere along the way, Lydia's heard about Yahweh. Who is this Jehovah God of Israel? And that he actually says, if you've read the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, First Commandment says you shall have no what? No other gods before me. So there's this call that there's a one true God. That there's not like a multitude or a plethora of gods, but in fact there's one God. And His name is Jehovah God or Yahweh, the God of Israel. She's come to worship or begin to follow this God. And furthermore, usually when we hear the term worshiper of God, they're attending some type of synagogue. Now what's interesting is, is, is that Paul's made his way to Philippi. We're going to see in a minute. You're going to have some connection, many of you, To Philippi. You don't realize it yet, uh, or maybe you do, but you're going to realize that Philippi has some actually real immediate connection to you and your family genealogy. Pretty cool, you're going to see in a moment. But so we would see that she would often, or the worshipers of God would begin attending a synagogue. Remember, most of the time they're Gentiles, so they can't come into the outer, or they're in the outer court only. Um, But what's interesting here is they're not meeting in a synagogue What it would take place to have a synagogue. Let's say we were here and we were Jewish um, and we wanted to gather together to have a synagogue. You had to have at least ten Jewish men in the city that wanted to gather together to have a synagogue. We don't have that. So the reality is there there may be little presence or truth about who God of the Old Testament, Yahweh God, right? How we know the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There may be little knowledge of Him. But whatever the case is, she is beginning to follow this God or at least interested knowing who He is pretty cool. So the truth is, is if we were being pretty transparent this morning if we had a prospect list, right? We had a, like a folder of prospects. lydia would be pretty well at the top. Right, We'd be saying, hey, listen, Lydia has got an awesome place. She's got like a 90-inch. It's streaming 5K. It's going to have the, the game on. Um, she has got a heated indoor pool, so we can send all the youth there. And she's got this sweet, like, jumpy area. It's like, it's like, it's like a bouncy house, dreamland. We can send all the children there. Um, she has got, like, this awesome uh, open area in the back, and she's got, like, gators and mules and animals and all. I mean, we don't again, we don't know. I'm just building this up to say, listen, she would be at the top of the list. She would be someone that the church would be saying, hey, listen, we want Lydia to be a part of our church. But if you're being honest right now, the assumption is, is that you believe Lydia most likely doesn't need Christ, but just a transfer of membership. And that's where the story is going to get interesting. But before we do that, let's meet the second person in our story. The second lady comes to us in verse 16, and we hear that Paul was again going to a place of prayer. It says they were met by a slave girl. So guess what? She doesn't even get a name. We never hear her name. We just simply know her as slave girl. Now what's interesting is, is that where is she from? Well, Paul and them are in Philippi. So hopefully you can see it. But the Google map there, kind of understanding where they are, all right? So they're in the region here of Macedonia, okay? I don't know if you can see that on the map, but hopefully. Let's zoom in just a little bit so we get maybe a better idea of what we're talking about. All right, so they're in the area of Philippi, okay? What's amazing about this is is Philippi is there connected obviously to Europe. The vast majority of us probably if you chased traced your family genealogy somewhere back along the lines, you're probably going to end up going back toward Europe. Most likely. Some of you may have different descendants, but many of you genealogically, if you traced your family tree back far enough, you would find it back in Philip, back toward Europe. And here's what's interesting. This is the first Biblical account we have of the gospel coming to Europe. So, this is like great, 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 great grandparents and folks way back, right? Like connections to them. And this is the gospel coming that would have impacted your family and ultimately where you are today and all the things that have been happening. This is pretty major. This is like crazy, all right? And you see there on the map also Thyatira, modern day Turkey there. That's where Lydia was from. Remember, it says she was from the city of Thyatira. So she's traveled from Thyatira there to Philippi, right? And similar, again, that's where Paul and Silas and the brothers have come. So again, that's kind of cool, just imagining. But let's look, look for a moment, all right? So we know her name's Slave Girl. We know where she's from, Philippi. But what do we know about her occupation, all right? Well, let's look for it for just a moment. We hear that she is, let's just read the text, Verse 16. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination, alright? You might hear the Python spirit, a Pythian spirit, depending on what your translation reads there. It's literally what the Greek is saying behind it. But, so it a spirit of divination, alright? And it brought her owners much gain, and now we see her occupation is fortune-telling. This is probably one of those occupations that lots of people talk about, but in a whisper. I mean, you may know it today. You may have felt it even being here now. I mean... Because maybe your past or your lifestyle, when you walk in here, people shake your hand and say, Glad you're here, but you're really wondering, like, are they going back to the person they're sitting next to and saying, You won't believe who's here today? I know. That's probably a little bit of the whisper of who she is. She is demon possessed slave and she's a fortune teller. These folks here, I mean, let's be honest, this is a pretty scandalous person for Paul to even begin interacting with. And you're going to see in a moment. But what we would say right at the beginning, this person needs Jesus. I mean, that person, that, I mean, she, she needs Jesus. Look, if we look just for a moment at her. That was strange. Someone just called this thing. I have no idea how even that even happens. So that's bizarre. I've never seen it happen before. Let's pray. God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray in the same way, just as that popped up right now, said someone was calling, I pray right now that they would hear you call. God, I pray for all of us in here today, we would hear you call. That you would interrupt our lives and what we're so focused on in this very moment. And you said that you have called us out of darkness into light. Lord, I pray by the power of the gospel that you would call. Thank you, Lord. I love you, God. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so look what it says here again. We have this, this statement that she has a, the spirit of divination. In the ancient world, magic oracles were really big, okay? We don't really know a lot about, we don't see a lot of people that we would say, hey, that person's demon possessed. I mean, you, you may not know much about the occult world, the black magic, some of those things, I don't know how much you studied or know, but it, it's real, it's, it's, it's happening even in our world in time now. But a lot of this was major. Why? Lord, in the name of Jesus, we pray for them that wherever they go, God, I pray you would strengthen them. I pray you would protect our first responders, Lord. I pray you would be with the people they go to treat and care for. And, uh, God, just again, watch over all of our, our police, um, our our military, God. We pray also for our rescue, fire, everyone, God. thank you again that we live in a country where people come when you call. And, God, I thank you most of all that you answer when you, we call. You said all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God, thank you for all these reminders you're using right now today to get our attention, Lord. I thank you, God, for how great and mighty you are. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry, something my dad just taught me. That any time you see and hear, you should pray. Um, So anyway, just... Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool to think about? My dad's been gone almost three years now, but he's still impacted me today. That's a reminder to you and I. Kids have been long gone out of your classes. um, The people you've taught. Your children have grown up. They may be going off to live, but they haven't forgot what you poured in. Moms, dads, grandparents. So what you do today matters. Amen. It matters. In little ways, in big ways, things you can't even imagine, it matters. So, again, what, what, what's happening here, the spirit of divination or fortune-telling? Why would it be so big? Well, one, fortune-telling or the spirit of divination was used to protect people from misfortune. Um, another reason why it was used is it might be used to attack other people or issue curses. I don't know if you've ever been involved much with, with voodoo-type um, things. or starting to hear some of that stuff. Um, my first real encounter with it was when we had gone... Um, To Costa Rica. We're in the middle of the rainforest, and we show up at a house, and all of a sudden, there's some crazy stuff. Like, I mean, you can just feel it. The spiritual temperature was strange, it was bizarre, and um, lots of, I won't go into much detail. We have a, a, a young audience among us, but lots of crazy stuff with animals, different things happening. And what we became aware of is it's a place called Mama Tata. All right, that was the religion. So it was a mixture of voodoo and Catholicism. And so if you've been probably towards Central America, South America, you may have encountered something or similar. Um, and so it was, it was strange, bizarre. But they were very, very intentional. Why? Because there was a recognition. That there was all these spirits in the world and going. And you're trying to keep certain spirits away and certain spirits towards you. And they warned us. They listen, if people, you show up and share the gospel, and they're, they're not for the gospel and you... When you walk away, they may very well be working to pronounce some kind of curse or something against you. You know what I would say? First John 4 4 The greater is He that is in me than He is in the world. You may be afraid of that today. You may be dealing with some blackness, some darkness. But I want you to know there's one greater than the dark side. There is the power of the light. It says in 1 John, or John chapter 1, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome it. And what you're going to see for this spirit, demon-possessed slave girl is that she is going to encounter the power of the name of Jesus Christ and she's going to be set free. That's how great Jesus is. That's how real it is. But not only that, why is they making so much money, right? You see that they, they're earning much gain by the spirit of divination or fortune-telling. Well, one of the big reasons is, is that pagan generals, okay, and listen, they're living in the Greco-Roman world, before going to battle, they would always want to Get an oracle, okay, to like, okay, let's encounter some kind of spirit. You remember Saul? He even went in the Old Testament to try to bring up Elijah to hear what he should do. Pretty messed up stuff. Um, I mean, that was Samuel. Um, but, but anyway, needless to say, that's what they would do. They would go and they would, they would try to interact with the spirit world to tell them, hey, should we go into battle today? Should we do this or that? Um, in fact, um, you maybe have some commentary below in your Bible that's going to talk about maybe the ventriloquist. Um, that was connected often in this day and time to the spirit of divination fortune-telling. But anyway, it was very profitable. So nonetheless, if we're looking at this lady's life, um, it's going to be pretty easy to say, listen, if we're doing her spiritual assessment, is it not working anymore? Is it lost? Sorry. Um, but anyway... On the screen there, just of imagining, hey, listen, what's the spiritual assessment of this person? What's happening? Are they spiritually dead? Are they spiritually alive? We'd say, hey, listen, the demon-possessed slave girl, like she's like so far to the end of being like spiritually dead, we can't even hardly measure her. But Lydia. Now, Lydia, she's not nearly like that. I mean, Lydia's, I mean, so again, if we're thinking who really needs Jesus in this story? We would say these two people can't be any further apart. I mean, it's some, I mean, if someone desperately needs Jesus in this story, it has to be the spirit, a demon-possessed slave girl and not Lydia. Watch with me if you would in the text. Hopefully it will pop up on the screen. Is it working yet? No? Well, we'll just pray for that too, right? I don't know about you, but Paul says to, to worry about nothing and pray about what? Everything, right? God, God's just using today's lesson just to continue to show us. Father, You're greater than technology. Lord, if You want it to work, Lord, we know you, you taught us to pray. Not our will, but Your will be done. So, Lord, if it's Your will, then I pray You just would cause the screen to work and it would work. and. Uh, God, if it's not, then you have another plan for that. So, God, I just give you glory either way. And thank you, God, that technology will never take away from your glory. God, that mics that don't work when our voices are weak, God, um, nothing will hinder what you want to do. So, God, I just want to thank you that you're greater. And again today, I pray that you would cause our hearts and minds to be so receptive in hearing what the gospel has to say. So, Father, not our will, but your will be done. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. If it's not working, can we just go to the images? Is that that cool? I know it's going to be a little hard to follow along. So, uh, slide seven. Is that cool? Awesome. Thank you. I apologize. All right, so this is, this is kind of important. All right? I really want you to see it on the screen. Um, and I won't be able to draw on it. Man, that's frustrating. All right, I'll, I'll do my best to kind of help you see it. All right, so we've heard the story of Lydia. Now we've heard the sto- story of the slave girl. Now we're going to come back to Lydia's story. All right, so remember Lydia. She's there. She comes to the place of prayer on the Sabbath. They've all gathered together to worship. And it says that one of the people that hear us, Paul begins to speak, all right? You see it there, verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, all right? She's from the city of Thyatira. She's a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And then we have this statement, all right? Again, this is one I really wanted to try to diagram for you, maybe help it make sense. It says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. All right, so a lot of things. Again, this is probably one of those, and maybe I'll do it on my screen just to help me. Follow along my own thought process. So the Lord, alright? So we see the Lord. There you see it first there, verse 14. The Lord is acting, alright? Well, what's the Lord doing? Well, it says the text says the Lord is opening what? Opening what? Her heart, alright? Some background of this. Luke chapter 24. Jesus has been crucified on the cross on Friday, buried, and on the power of God, raised on that Sunday morning. There's two men, remember those disciples, they're on the road to Emmaus, and they're talking to Jesus, but they don't recognize it's Him. Jesus, or these two guys, He begins to talk with them. They invite Him in to come eat with them. He begins to eat. It says that when He breaks the bread, or He prays and breaks the bread, it says their eyes are open. Luke chapter 24, these two disciples. It says immediately that Jesus is taken from their presence. And then we read this statement in verse 32. They say to one another, Did our hearts not burn within us as He opened the Scriptures to us? They're saying, listen, there's something about the fact that what was He opening? He was opening the Old Testament Scriptures about the Messiah, about the promise of the Savior, the one that was to come. He's saying, listen, when when He began to open to us the Scriptures, He began to open and unveil it to us, our hearts began to burn. There's something about this thing. This Word is true. You see, we desperately need God to open and move hearts. This morning, I was talking to the boys. I said, Guys, do you understand? We're talking about this story of do you know what it means for for God to open hearts and move hearts? And do you understand what's happening with Lydia? And, And Riv kind of tells me he doesn't really understand. He says, But, Dad, I want you to know, I don't want to go to church today, right? I said, Well, guess what? That's what happens when God begins to open and work in your heart. You used to not want to go to church. Used to didn't really care much about reading God's Word. Prayer was just kind of like one of those things you did when you absolutely had to or things got desperate. Giving, that was like, there's no way I'm giving. I mean, who knows what that church's even doing with it. I mean, I... sin, I'm just going to live and do whatever. But I mean, there came a moment when God stepped in. When something about this Word came alive to you. When there was a realization that there really is a Jesus of Nazareth. Like, that's a real dude. And in fact, He was a sinless man who was fully God. What? And He died on the cross. And on that cross, I can't really explain it perfectly to you, but I have faith to believe that when He died on the cross, He didn't die for His own sin because He was sinless. Instead, by faith, God credited. He took my sin away and credited His perfect life back to me. And the power of God was displayed in such a way that when they buried that guy, that I mean, the Romans were good at killing people. And he was buried and dead, but on the third day by the power of God, he was raised to life to declare to everyone that God had received his sacrifice, that God is greater than sin, that God is greater than your fear of death. There's something that happened. The gospel has just opened up to me. It's like I just, I mean, literally, 2 Corinthians 4 4 says the God is aged blind of the minds, but it says, and you read on further there in verse 5 and 6, 2 Corinthians 4, it says that God shone the light into our hearts. There's something so great about what God's doing here. It's just a miracle. I mean, if you want to see a miracle, look and see for a man or woman, a boy or girl has been changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, it's a miracle that our hard hearts would be changed. So he says, the Lord opened her heart to do what? Look, it says, to pay attention to. Alright, so the Lord opened our hearts to pay attention to what's being said by Paul. So let's just show up some images here on the screen. Of Can we do that? Um, number eight. Can we throw that up there? Yes, sorry. So what's so big about the Lord opening her heart? Before I get to the next part. What's so big about that? Well, 1 Samuel 16, Samuel goes to anoint the new king. Saul's really messed it up. And God says, I'm going to anoint a new one. Alright? And Samuel's there, and he's looking at all these sons of Jesse, all these boys, and he's like, well, that's surely that one, he's the tallest, he's the oldest, surely. I mean, this this one. God says, no, no, no. He says, look, I want you to know that man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks what? At the heart. Just he God, God, I'm looking look at the heart. You say, well, Blake, well, what's the truth about my heart? Well, Romans 8 and 7 would tell you and I that our hearts, it says the mind that is set on the flesh, the desires of the heart, He says, they're hostile to God. They don't submit to God's law. Indeed, they cannot. He says, listen, apart from Christ, there's just like a desire to do your own thing. To be your own boss. To be your own master and commander. To sell your ship where you want your ship to go. But he says, Jesus says in John 16, verse 8, when He comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will bring conviction upon the hearts of men and women, boys and girls. There will be this just... Oh, God, I've sinned against you. Have you felt that recently? Not only like when you were saved, but like, have you dealt with that recently? Like, oh, God, my attitude toward my wife is so ungodly, Lord. Lord, I'm so judgmental. I see those people, Lord, and I judge them. I just think, you know what? If you just do this more or that more, you wouldn't be where you are today. I mean, do you see and feel that and say, oh, God, that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit? that doesn't honor my son, who you claim lives inside of you. It's the Holy Spirit of God at works through the word of God. And you hear this. Some of you hear it and you say, well Blake then, then do we have any part at all in what's happening? Yes, yes, yes just yes, yes. watch this. This is absolutely beautiful just from the Word of God. watch this. can we number nine look what happens here the text is kind of falling along. Verse 9 of Acts 16. A vision appears to Paul in the night. Okay, He has the vision. He concludes, verse 10 there, that God's called him to take the gospel to Macedonia. So again, this is God working. God's brought the vision. God's speaking to Paul. Paul has this conclusion. And look what happens though. Verse 11. So setting sail. Paul, Silas, these guys, they act on it. They have a responsibility saying, God, you have shown us this. You've revealed this to me. God, I must act by faith. Further, watch watch with me if you would. Now move to verse... 12 and into the 13. Just remember, they set on, they went to Philippi, that Roman colony. In verse 13, look what happens here. They show up there and look what they do. Can, can we go to the next one? Will it work? Yeah, awesome. It says in verse 13 that they went. Alright, this is where the guys are going. Look what they're doing. This again, this is them acting. Remember, we're seeing God opening hearts. But hey, listen, we have a responsibility in this. We have an obligation to have a day we went to a place of prayer. We spoke the word to those who had come together. So we're seeing it here. God's vision, they respond. They show up and they're just seeking the Lord in prayer and they're going to be faithful to share the gospel. And it's there as God's power and might and the Holy Spirit's at work. The Lord begins to open hearts. And look what happens here. What's God doing to pay attention? Look what it says there. Verse 14 of Acts 16 to what was said by Paul. So the power of God at work in all of this is using human instruments. He's using your faithfulness just to share the gospel right where God has put you today. It's the power of God. Now listen, you and I don't know who's going to be saved today. I don't know how. I can't look and see in the hearts of people and say, God, you're convicting that person. The Spirit of God's at work. You've had all these different moments in life. All I can do is say I'm going to be faithful to share with anyone and everyone that God puts in my path. And I'm going to trust that God is at work in salvation and there's a movement of God and there's a love of God that He desires that none should perish and all should come to repentance. And so I'm going to share the Gospel with anyone and everyone. That's what the Bible is showing us. Paul and these guys are being faithful to go and share the Gospel and realizing that salvation is a work of God and it's hard to grasp and see inside the heart of people and I can't. But I know that God can and I know that He loves everyone. And I know He desires that none would be lost, that all would come to their salvation in His Son, Jesus. So I can share with boldness and confidence to anyone and everyone. And let the power of God be at work. Literally says to pay attention to. I think the King James mentions there in verse 14 to literally attend to what is said by Paul. The NIV 1984, New American Standard uh, 1995 says that literally to respond to. So there's a work of God in this. We, we, can't, we can't exclude God out of the work of salvation. There's a responsibility in the human heart, yes. Us to be obedient that are already in Christ, yes. But let us not exclude the work of God. Let us not exclude the Spirit of God at work in the midst of salvation. It's a beautiful thing. So how do we know that this working of God is bringing about salvation? How do we know that this responding to the Gospel is real and true? Well, look what the text tells us if we would. Now, move to verse 15 with me. In verse 15, we hear these words. After she's heard the gospel, right? She's paying attention to what's said by Paul. The Lord's moving in her heart. It says, and after she was baptized in her household as well. There's an affirmation that she has believed upon the word of the gospel. She's affirming it with her life. To be united with Christ in His death, right? As, they go, as we go under the water. We're united with Christ in His death and burial. And as we're raised up, what do you think that's the imagery of? With Christ. His what? His resurrection, right? So when you go forward in that water, you're proclaiming that your Savior died and you've died with Him. But by the power of God, He was raised again and so you have been raised to walk in a new life. No longer the old you is dead. It's an imagery. You're you're participating in a funeral and a resurrection. It's the power of God. And so it says afterwards, she was baptized in her household as well and she urged us saying... If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So they're falling, they're walking with them. All right, baptism often is connected to belief. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, when Peter preaches the gospel, it says in verse 41 there that all those who believed, it says, and they were baptized. In Acts chapter 8, when Philip went down to Samaria and he preached the gospel to them and many mighty things happened, we hear in verse 12 that all who believed were baptized. In Acts chapter 10, when Paul goes, uh, or Peter goes into the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, an outcast, and the Spirit of God moves and they believe the gospel, it says there in about verse 36 and 37 that they were baptized. Baptism is connected to the belief of the person, it's an affirmation that what's happened on the inside, I'm not ashamed of that. Again, we don't understand it here in the estados unidos, but it's coming, brothers and sisters. It's coming The days of being celebrated, of being identified with Jesus Christ of Nazareth, those days, that celebration is soon past. It will soon cost you. That's what Lydia and her family are participating in. But let's go back now, all right? We've seen Lydia, right? Or Or there with Lydia, her story. We've seen it unfold. Now let's walk back just for a moment with the slave girl. She's demon-possessed, it says in verse 16. She has a spirit of divination. She brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. It says she followed, verse 17 of Acts 16, she followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now again, what we have here is what you see so often in the Gospels, is that when Jesus encountered demonic spirits, so often they would cry out, Jesus, Son of God, what do you have to do with us before the appointed time? Right? that they cry out? These demons recognized who Jesus is. So literally, we have this demon apparently speaking from this demon-possessed slave girl saying, These men, they're servants, which, which is interesting, the word servants, uh, the bondservant. Literally, it's one slave speaking about a slave of someone else. See, she's enslaved to the way of the world and the spirits of Satan and the demonic beings. But she's speaking about some people that are slaves of someone else of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says there, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, we hear that and say, man, that there's a, that's biblically accurate, right? But the context of the culture in that day and time wouldn't have made it so clear. Why? Because the term for Most High God, is it used of the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, Jehovah God of Israel? Yes. But it was also used in that day and time to describe Zeus, who many people worship. Right? And so you had this demon-possessed slave girl saying, hey, listen, these guys are telling you to fall away, the Most High God. Well, they could have consumed, maybe, yeah, it's the God of, of Israel, right? the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but maybe this is like the, speaking of Zeus. Furthermore, to proclaim the way of salvation isn't as clear as maybe it would seem in our English translation. Why? Because we know from the culture and context that even the emperor of Rome would call himself the Savior. So now it's just one Savior amongst many. So all of that happens, why? Because I want you to hear these words, you would say, why is Paul upset? Look what happens here. Verse 18, it says, she kept doing this for many days, Paul having become greatly annoyed. Why is he greatly annoyed? Why? Because there's probably lots of confusion happening, right? And she's proclaiming this. They're like, well, what does she mean by this? Who is this most high God? Right? So there's confusion most likely happening. So Paul becomes greatly annoyed. He says in verse 18, he turns to her and says, to the Spirit... This is some exorcism, right? You, you've seen stuff in movies. This is, this is the real stuff. I command you in the name of who? Paul? No. I command you in the name of Peter. I command you in the name of Mary Magdalene. I command you in the name of Jesus' mama, Mary. No, it says I command you in the name of who? Jesus Christ, because there's one name Only. That is greater than all your sin. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within grace, grace, God's grace, greater that is greater than all of your sin. It's only the name of Jesus Christ that could ever set anyone free. And Paul says, not in my own power, not in my own strength, but in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And it said it came out that very hour. But when our owners saw it, verse 19 of Acts 16, they saw that what? Their hope of gain was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them in the marketplace before the rulers. And so this this story is really helping us understand how do Paul and Silas end up in prison and all that's getting ready to happen here. And you're going to see that next week if the Lord wills and we return. But an important question has to be asked at this moment. Is this former demon-possessed slave girl actually saved? And here's what we do know. The text doesn't tell us. We don't have a definitiveness of saying that she was baptized after this. Um, we're not sure. But can you imagine that if, if she is, God's began starting the church with Lydia, a person that's not even from there. I mean, like she's like an outsider. I mean, can you imagine that God says, "Hey, listen, I'm going to start a church in Greensburg, but I'm going to start with somebody that's not even from Greensburg." You're like, what? And not only that, I'm going to like choose this demon possessed fortune telling slave girl. I'm going to so radically save and transform her. That's where I'm going to start my church. How many of you want to go to that church starting now? We wouldn't, would we? It's a good reminder that God's ways are not your ways or my ways, and God's thoughts are not my thoughts or your thoughts. And that God, as Joe Milby used to often sing, I love that song. God can save anybody, anywhere, what, anytime. Mm-hmm. I don't. I can't do it like Brother Joe, but He can, and He will. And today, it might be you. We're getting close to our answer of who has the greatest need of Jesus. We're almost there. So let's ask the question, though. So what might we know about this lady's salvation? Well, a couple of examples. One, we would, if you would turn with me just for a moment to Mark chapter 5. Hey, I just realized why it's not on there now if you pull it back up. Like when I went to like try to get that phone off, I somehow turned the Wi-Fi off. So, if you can go back to it now, it should probably work. All right, so God's got another story for us, man. God's, listen. Have you ever had something so planned out you thought exactly how it was going to go and it didn't work out like that at all? That's this. And here's the good news. The God, the God of this gospel that I preach unto you, He's so great that He can take a preacher's mistakes, mess-ups, everything that I had planned and thought for today of how it's going to go, and it totally goes a different direction, and we have all these different things happen, and He can still speak the gospel. That's good news for preachers like me and people like you and I as we go share the gospel daily. Why? Because it ain't always going to go like you want it to go. You're not going to say that. You're going to walk away thinking, that was so stupid. Why didn't I think of this? If I would just said that. I want you to see that there's a God who's greater than you and I's blunders and mistakes. He can handle it all. And in fact, He uses it all for His glory. And I just want you to delight in that. So look with me, you would. Mark chapter 5. You know what God just whispered to me? Blake, just because it's back on the internet, don't presume that you're in control. Ooh. Ooh. I love when God speaks. It's like, oh, my absolute favorite. It's, I don't do Happy Meals anymore, but that's how I feel on the inside. Remember as a kid? You're like, oh, we're going to Mickey D's! Right? you like, you had to have that food. Right? You didn't really want that food at all, did you? What would you want? The toy! Yes! Alright, this is my ADHD kicking in crazy overload. So you see the grace of God every week, because I'm telling you these are thoughts that are always going through my mind when I'm preaching. Just the grace of God keeps me anchoring the text. Now you realize why well, it happens we run so long. Don't say amen, Tony Jewel. I know you're thinking it. I know you're thinking it. <laughs> Alright. So look, back to the next. Mark chapter 5. Again, we're asking the question, was this demon-possessed, fortune-telling slave girl saved? Well, one of the examples we have is Mark chapter 5. And Jesus cast out a man that had many demons. Literally, the demons answer and say, Our name is Legion, because we are many. It says, as Jesus gets into the boat, verse 18 of Mark 5, the text kind of closes out the story and says... There a man who had been possessed with demons, begged him that he might be with him. He says, listen, I want to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus didn't permit him, but says to him, look, he says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And so it says the man went away and began to proclaim to the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. So there's an example, but we have to pump the brakes a little bit, right? We see that and think, well, that, that must indicate salvation and transformation of lives. And look what Jesus says, though, also, just to kind of caution us. Now, at this moment, when Jesus speaks in Luke chapter 11, he's just been accused by the hand of Satan casting out demons. They're they're accusing him of being demon-possessed, Beelzebub. You hear that word? It says in verse 24 of Luke 11, when the unclean spirit, Jesus says, has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came, the house representing the person, Jesus is using the imagery here, And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. The demons have been cast out. The person is there. But look what happens here in verse 26 of Luke 11. Then it goes, this demonic spirit, then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. Dwell where? Back in the house of the person. The person is demonically possessed now. And Jesus says the last day of that person is worse than the first. So just because the demons were cast out doesn't mean that the Spirit of God has now come to indwell. So we just don't know. But what I hope you do know, what I hope that you do come to conclusion on is this. When you begin to wonder, why would we ever let those people into the church? Why would we have a ministry outreach to those people? Why would we ever send and help those people? I want you to see from the text today in Acts 16, you are those people! Those people, do you see it? Lydia, look at her life. She's a great community person. She's affluent. She's going to prayer meetings. And she still needed Jesus Christ. The demon-possessed slave girl who was fortune-telling and seemingly as far off maybe as you get from God possible. Guess what? She and Lydia had the same need, and the same need pointed right to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And that's your need, and that's everybody else's need. So when you start looking at the packaging, don't miss this point right here. You've got a big label on your heart, and it says the same thing as theirs. Meet Jesus! That's why, at Greensburg Baptist, we will go to this community and this nation's and the poor and those in prison and the weak and the outcast and the forgotten. Why? Because they are just like us on the inside. They just need Jesus. This church will be unified when we begin to recognize that you're not better than this person because of what you put in the plate or how long you've been here or how many Bible verses you know or because maybe what you haven't done or maybe what you have done in your life. We are one in the name of Jesus Christ. I close with one final example of Jesus' own lips. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. So He's talking to those that trust in themselves. Luke 18, verse 9. They trusted what? He says that that they were righteous. That they were good enough. Look what He says here. And they treated others with contempt. He says, two men, verse 10 of Luke 18, went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified with God rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exhausted. Today, will you humble yourself here and now? Will you humble yourself before Jesus Christ of Nazareth? The greatest name that's ever been spoken, the one freer from you of your sin and bondage is Jesus Christ. He paid your penalty. He died on the cross for you that by faith, by trusting, believing, hoping in Him, that you could stand before God sinless and as if you lived the life of Jesus Christ Himself. That's how great this grace, forgiveness, and pardon is. Hopefully this morning, maybe the Lord's opened up to you the Scriptures and you realized... It's time I quit looking about everybody else and realized, I need Jesus. You can attend the prayer meetings. You can know all about God. You can even be, She was labeled a worshiper of God, but she did not yet know Jesus Christ. Do you know Him personally? Do you? If so, would you be willing to today to humble yourselves and just say, I need Jesus? if so, Jesus says that you can go home today justified. Declared before God as if you've never sinned. That tax collector was the outcast of the outcast in that society. And Jesus is telling us, nothing you've done is too great for the forgiveness of my Father and my love for you on the cross. So today, come home. Come on. Our musicians are making their way, but I'm inviting you before the music plays just to come on and respond right now. Would you humble yourself here and now? Just acknowledging right now. You say, you know what? I, I, man, that's me. I've been looking around all the demon-possessed people and all the people I've labeled so bad. But I realize I'm like Lydia. I have a need of Jesus too. Would you respond? Father, we come again to You in prayer. You have brought us so many times today in prayer. God, I thank You for that. Lord, I come right now just simply asking, God, that Your Gospel would speak. That you've overcome all the distractions, all the things that have happened, all my blunders and mistakes. And you've used it all for your glory. Your word reminds us, God, what do you have that you did not receive? Therefore, why do you boast as if you yourself have done it? Only Jesus, God. These people don't need me, God. They're so freeing. Oh, they need you, Lord. They need you, Lord. Please, God. Please, Lord, I beg it of you, speak to our hearts. God, please open the Scriptures to us, God. Move our hearts today. Would you just pour out your grace on us, God? Call people to come back to you. Restore the joy of our salvation. Fill our hearts. I love you, Lord. I pray all this just hoping, believing, trusting that you're going to do the work today. I love you, Lord. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.